to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sitting down with Joe Nielsen of Ramsgate Winery in Sonoma. Winemakers come from a variety of backgrounds, but it isn't too often you hear about one coming from Michigan and having to petition a school to allow him access into their newly created enology program because he wasn't 21 years old yet. As general manager and winemaker at Ramsgate Winery, Joe approaches winemaking from all angles, driving sustainability farming practices, sourcing small gem vineyards, using family-owned coopers, as well as introducing native and whole cluster fermentation. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know you can do it right now while you are listening? New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide which podcasts they recommend to others. And if you love this podcast, other wine lovers will too. And don't forget to add your email address on the website to keep up with all things exploring the wine glass. Slancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and coteron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. I am your host, Lori, a UC Davis winemaking graduate, uh, Spanish wine scholar, WSET level two, and some other stuff. Every time I get bored, I go back to school. But today I have a special guest with me, Joe Nielsen from Ramsgate Winery. And he kind of has an interesting path to the wine world, one that I don't think we normally hear. So welcome, Joe. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's talk about that history. I you kind of grew you kind of well you grew up in Michigan, and although I know there is wine in Michigan, it, you don't really hear too many people coming from Michigan to make wine in Sonoma. So how did we get to this path here? I like what actually how you started. I kind of grew up because I'm I'm still not quite there. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Michigan. Um, the wines coming out of that area are unique and special and, and are uh, arguably world-class as well. So a shout out to those who are still making wine in Michigan. There are still plenty. Um, so went to Michigan State University. Um, originally wanted to be a doctor, but I really didn't know. Um, as many kids don't know when they start going to school. Uh, it's an argument for traveling the world a little bit before you make a decision. Uh, for those who are thinking about it. Um, but anyhow, I decided I wanted to be a doctor. I was really in love with the idea of traveling the world, um, being sort of like a doctor without borders, uh, doing something um, like that. Um, and then kind of stumbled upon the analogy viticultural program that was started up at, at the university at the time. Michigan State, for those who are not familiar, is another great agricultural school, much like UC Davis. 
for a very long time. So there's a beautiful horticultural plant science program that's been there for over a hundred years. And um, just kind of kept seeing different parts of those programs popping up. Um, I like to be outside. I didn't, uh, didn't really still know what I wanted to do with my life. But anyway, my two different things sort of happened. My mom continued to push me to uh, not just take courses that would get me closer to a pre-med um, undergrad program, but to have a little bit of fun in my life and uh, not take myself too serious. Um, so that kind of was in the back of my mind. And then also um, one of my really good friends in college um, told me that he just didn't see me as a doctor. And I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> thanks. Sounds a little bit like an insult. Um, but anyway, I was like, okay, then what should I do? He's like, you're going to do something fun with your life. You're going to be a winemaker or something. And it's like, where did that come from? <laughs> Um, but so it was kind of like multiple things and sort of like fate and um, stumbled upon the analogy viticultural program that they had just started at Michigan State. Um, fast forward, uh, 17, 18 years old, uh, ended up planning a little bit of a research vineyard for myself and my parents' home. Um because every child does that. <laughs> every right. child plants their own research vineyard. <laughs> exactly. Uh, for my 19th birthday or 18th birthday, I had asked my mom for uh, and wrote um, um, stakes for my vineyard, uh, our posts and wrote uh, posts. Um, and then still kind of thought, well, I'll be a doctor. I'll have a passion for this. And then maybe someday when I'm, or and in my career, maybe somehow I'd still have this as a passion. I do think forward pretty far in my life, but that then seemed ridiculous to myself that why would I wait 40 years to enjoy something that I seem to be interested in right now? So kind of slowly shifted all of my class schedule to things that involved grape growing or winemaking and um, eventually switched my whole major to, at the time, I didn't have a four-year degree with it. So it's a horticulture degree with an emphasis on analogy and viticulture. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, fast forward, uh, probably an, another little bit of time went by before I even had a glass of wine for the first time in my life um, and tried wine. So I only say that because a lot of people get into wine because they had a great bottle of wine somewhere. I got really into grape growing first. I love the concept. I love being outside. I love thinking that you could grow something that is a multi-year opportunity or, or struggle, um, not bar. It's not something that you can replant and it'll just be there next year. Uh, something that you really had to sculpt over a long period of time. So anyway, um, then had a, my first glass of wine. I wasn't 21, but uh, just like, wow, this is terrible. Um, what did I get myself involved in? Um, thankfully, it turned out <laughs> to be just not a great glass of wine. So it didn't ruin me for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, 
19, I went down to New Zealand uh, to kind of get involved in the wine business while I was in between semesters, um, helped out at my university. And then afterwards, when I did turn 21, uh, jumped right into the wine industry. So I've uh, been in the wine business since I legally can buy wine um, and haven't looked back much over the years of wanting to do anything differently. Um, right after school, moved to northern Michigan, where I started making wine in Leelanau Peninsula, which is, a, a, for those, everyone that knows the state of Michigan, it's up here, uh, yeah. Pinky. Um, really enjoyed it, but I think at the time, I was very impetuous. I was very much wanting to know everything, uh, learn everything, experience everything. So I felt like I needed to see another part of the world. I uh, thought I would come to California or Oregon or something like that to to kind of get my that sort of appetite um, fed and, and came out in 2008 and thought it was going to be a temporary thing. And that's 2023. So <laughs> here I am. Time just flies when you're having wine. Yes. <laughs> and now I read that um, actually you had to petition MSU because you weren't old enough to be in the program? Yeah, initially they said for the winemaking part, you needed to be 21. And I'm like, well, that seems ridiculous. Like, why would I wait my whole college career to start? Like, I'm in a hurry. I don't want to wait until I'm 21 to start this. So initially it was, well, you can't do the wine tasting. You can't do the wine appreciation. You can't do the like actual chemistry parts where you're dealing with alcohol. Um, so I, it wasn't like I, I had to, you know, stand in front of a, a jury to, to really fight to get into the program, but I definitely had to push a little bit to, to get that going. So started growing grapes in my backyard and just kind of said, fine, I'll do it one way or another. I just want to, I'm really excited about this and I want to do it. So eventually um, they were like, fine, you can, you can do this, but we need you to behave yourself and do not, you know, if we go on a field trip, you're not allowed to taste anything. I convinced them uh, whether or not I behaved is a whole other question. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. did you, did you uh, agree to the no, to the no sipping? <laughs> yeah. I'm spitting. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. So yeah, initially it was, I mean, I started school really early. I was 17 when I started uh, undergrad and, um, so and that's what, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, if I waited till I was 21, I, I was ready to graduate when I was 21. I turned November of my senior year was when I turned 21. Yeah. So. Same. yeah I'm a fall baby. So uh, most of my career, I was uh, college career was under, under the age of 21. So mm, interesting. Interesting. I, I know UC Davis and Cal Poly and other universities do not have that stipulation. So so how long have you been at Ramsgate? I will be almost five years in June. Time does fly. And how did you find your way to Ramsgate? Is that your first place in California or did you work someplace else to and then come to Ramsgate? So um, I got to Ramsgate via Maryville and Napa, followed by uh, a long stint with Donovan Family Wines, uh, nearly 10 years there. So... Um, will be 17th vintage coming up for me. Wow. Wow. Excellent. And do you remember your very first vintage of your 
you know, of your your actual first vintage that you were the head honcho for? Uh, of course. Um, in, at Donald and Wines, I was the 2013 vintage was my first year as a head winemaker. And yes, I think you always remember those early, early moments. I don't remember everything, um, but I made arguably good wine, um, wines that I'm proud of. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Ramsgate a bit. Like what's the history of the winery and what's with the name? How do we get there? Sure. Uh, the brand started in 2011. So relatively a young brand, but we've got a lot of vintages under our belts now. And I think we know who we are and who we want to be. Uh, the name comes from both Ram is uh, loosely translated from Arneros in Spanish to Ram. Um, and then we're one of the most Southern wineries in Sonoma County. So we are sort of the gateway to uh, right winemaking, uh, our wine country and thus Ramsgate. All right. You're the gateway. And, uh, how large is the winery? We're pretty small. Um, in terms of wine production, we are in a big vintage, maybe 12,000 cases. Okay. 12,000 cases, not too big. Big enough to experiment, but small enough to do it ourselves. And how many? So today we have uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, and Pinot Noir. Uh, do you Do you make any other varietals other than those three? Yep. Um, on our estate, we also grow Pinot Blanc. So our brand's about a third from our estate, and the rest we work with growers around Sonoma and Napa. Um, we also make Syrah and Cabernet. Um, and with the Syrah, if you start making Syrah, you uh, it's like giving a mouse a cookie. Um, if you make Syrah, then you might as well make some Grenache. And if you're going to make a little bit of Grenache, you ought to make a little bit of Mubeca. <laughs> Absolutely. And hey, happy Syrah Day today. Yeah. Right? So so let's talk about this Sauvignon Blanc, because um, I know, like, you know, you're basically a cool wine region. And so I, you know, I knew Chardonnay, I knew Pinot Noir, but Sauvignon Blanc is a cool climate wine also. So let's talk about this. This is your Carneros Estate Vineyard Sauvignon Blanc, and it is a 2020. So there it is. So tell us about the Sauvignon Blanc. What do you like about Sauvignon Blanc? What don't you like about Sauvignon Blanc in the vineyard? Hmm. I don't think Maybe there's... you love everything about Sauvignon Blanc in the vineyard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for 2020 at Ramsgate, so Sauvignon Blanc is something that we grow here on our estate. Um, it's the only one of the few products that we are 100% uh, estate with. Um, 2020 marked our first vintage of full organic farming. Um, and for those who don't know, it takes multiple years of farming with those principles before you can certify. So 2020 was our first vintage. Uh, we've now completed 21 and 22, so we are now working on our certification. So 20 is a, a, an important, important year from that perspective is when we really uh, committed to that change. Um, it was the beginning of a, uh, a uh, drought in California, so we had less water 
um, concentration was quite a bit higher. Um, but as a result, yields were quite a bit smaller uh, across the board for all the wines that we're going to taste today or talk about. Um, but delicious wines nonetheless. The Sal Blanc is broken up in two different clones. One's a Musquet selection. Uh, you asked me what I like about Sal Blanc. Um, I think a lot of people assume Chardonnay is a variety that can be highly manipulated and or is neutral in a good way. I feel like Sauv Blanc can really also follow a similar trajectory where depending on how it's fermented or how it's grown, uh, can really influence the resulting wine. Um, so Sauv Blanc is one of the varieties that I got interested in first in my wine appreciation. Um, partly I think it was New Zealand Sauv Blanc was accessible to someone that was young uh, with very little means. Um, but then kind of enjoyed the wines of, of France. Um, so for our Sal Blanc, I'm sort of inspired by Bordeaux Blanc. I like barrel fermentations for Sauvignon Blanc. Um, this wine has about 10% new French oak uh, with 20% stainless steel and then the remaining in neutral barrels. Um, sorry, itch. Um, for us, we like to ferment all of our white wines in small vessels. So even though um, there's some stainless steel, we do use small vessels. And the idea there is we like to pick with naturally high acidity, keep the wines fresh, but using surly and the opportunity to stir uh, later on uh, to kind of sculpt the palate is important to us. Um, so that we like to have that variable. Uh, and so as a result, I do ferment everything in small vessels. Um, then Elevage is five to six months. And typically most of our white wines are coming in under 14% alcohol. So kind of picking based on flavor and acidity and less so on potential alcohol. And for my particular palate that tends towards slightly lower alcohols. Awesome. Fantastic. And now you had mentioned that you have your organic or you're working on the organic certification, but you're also farming sustainably. So I think there's a lot of confusion between organic farming and sustainable farming. They kind of get thrown hand in hand because I think a lot of wineries, if you are organic, you're also being sustainable. But how would you explain the difference between organic and sustainable? Uh, the difference is just it's kind of layering on things. So I think it would be hard to be not sustainable and organic, and maybe that's impossible. But for me, it's it's sort of the journey in farming. Uh, sustainable, there's there's actual uh, certificates that kind of validate that you are farming or practicing sustainable methods. There's parameters that need to be met. Um, and then there are people that would argue that just thinking about organic isn't taking into account all of the things that influences sort of a sustainable business and sustainable agriculture. So to me, they're both very important. Uh, we're in Sonoma County. Sonoma County had initiative, I don't know exactly how many years ago, but last time I saw it was about 99% of the grapevines that are in our county are certified sustainable or being farmed sustainable. And for me, um, with my initial degree in horticulture, I've always had an affinity towards plants and grape growing and 
beyond that, just from a personal perspective, always really take have, have taken um, organic as, as something that I would like to work towards uh, with what I consume personally, but also as, as a profession. So at Ramsgate, I came to our facility and we were already CSWA certified, so California Sustainable Wine Alliance. And looking at the requirements for that, um, there's there's quite a list. Um, but I was also thinking with our site, with our wind in Carneros, with low vigor that we experience from a grape growing perspective, we also get less weed pressure. Um, that this was something that I wanted to look at. Uh, organic certification can be expensive just with the practices. It's a little bit more costly. There's more passes that are required with tractors. So I was trying to be practical and also sustainable in that regard. Can we do a lot of the organic farming without seeing a huge impact to the bottom line? So we started transitioning in 2019. Um, we started using sheep in the spring, which we actually have on our property right now as our first mowing. Um, that's beyond organic. That's not required by either sustainable or organic. It's just a nice option. Um, we also decided as a team to stop using herbicides completely. So there are organic options for uh, controlling weeds. But for me, it's still... Is there a way to work around that? So is one better than the other? No, um, I think they're both important and it really is site specific. And I'm not gonna say that everything needs to be organic, but for us, it is a goal to become organically certified. And you said that you do, you're like one third estate. So the other vineyards that you're working with, uh, are they organic also? Or some are, some aren't, it's more concerned with your estate yeah the organic is concerned with the the fruit that we're growing ourselves um i also think reaching to other people to do something and for us to have not done it first or have done it with them i think is unfair uh, to a degree so kind of going through the motions myself and understanding the impact that it has both from a capital standpoint and just time um, was helpful. Um, I didn't do it just for that reason, but uh, again, Sonoma County is mostly sustainable anyway, so I would say all of our growers, in fact, yes, all of our growers are some level of certification in the sustainable programs that exist. Um, not everyone's organic, very few are organically certified at the moment. I, and I have a tendency to believe that many vineyards are practicing organic sustainability um, practices, but just aren't going for that very expensive actual certification that, you know, they're doing it for the practicing it for the practice, but not necessarily for that certificate that they can hang. Totally. And I think there's always, there are some uh, items that are available in the sustainable certifications that are not organic. And those are sort of areas where people just want to have that as a option in the event that we have a wet spring or a wet summer and it's it comes down to practicality do you want to potentially have an issue without a solution 
And I think that's why a lot of people don't. And I think to your point, a lot of people, most people I've met in this business are thoughtful. They own the land or they operate the land. A lot of people are very careful about what they want to add. There's very few people that want to add more than they need to. It's also just, I'm sorry, having some really bad allergies. Um, but anyway, a lot of people are are practicing, I would say, majority organic principles with a few items that are not. And so if we go back to your estate, uh, you're growing the Pinot, the Chardonnay, and the, the Sauvignon Blanc. You said you're growing Pinot Blanc. So are you? do you have two completely different lines? So are you also purchasing, let's say, Pinot Noir, and then that's a different line at Ramsgate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the so Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Blanc are 100% estate. We do not buy Sauvignon Blanc or Pinot Blanc from anyone else. Um and then we have an estate Chardonnay and an estate Pinot, which you have uh, with you. Those are the only products that are items that we 100% grow and make and bottle as is. We have different tiers in our business. We have single vineyards that we partner with growers around Sonoma County and in Napa. Um, those are separate completely. And then we also have a Sonoma Coast uh, labeled wine that may have some of our estate wine in it, but it's blended with other things as well. All right. Well, let's get to, um, it is now officially 1225, so I can drink. Um, <laughs> so let's get to the Chardonnay. So this is your 2020 estate uh, Los Carneros Chardonnay. And this is not released yet. You're just getting ready to release it. It's going to be coming out yeah, this summer. So awesome. So let's talk about this Chardonnay. Give us a little backstory on the chard on the fruit, how it's how it's processed, everything that you do um, with it. Yep. So we've talked about um, 2020 being kind of a pivotal year for us from a great grape growing standpoint as a business. Um, and the yields were very small. So for our estate Chardonnay, it's one of our more recent plantings. So we have a lot of different little clones that go into this. It's uh, majority Wenti from three different little blocks around our property. Our property is 150 acres and 27 of which are planted to grapes. Um, of that, about a third is Chardonnay. So it's Wenti followed by Robert Young, a little bit of clone 98, which is Dijon, Dijon selection, a little Mount Eden. And then to round it out, we also have some Prosser clone Chardonnay or clone 15. Um, each of these, we try to ferment separately. So I always believe in um, deconstructing a blend first, even if 99% of the time things are blended back together. This gives us an opportunity to kind of see how the clone interprets the site a little bit differently. We can pick them at different times, look for good freshness, good minerality. And then also matching oak with a clone or a site. Uh, but here it's like a cube within our estate versus just saying, oh, it's a Seychelles. We can press it all together, ferment it together, and then we're done with the wine. So um, that would be much faster. We prefer to deconstruct and constantly learn from each little component, even if it's a half a barrel or a barrel. Uh, equivalent of wine. It's it's way more fun for me and my team to kind of see how these components come together 
over time. Uh, and Rams, something. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, what's the oak regimen on this? It's about a third new oak. Um, I work with French uh, oak at the moment. Um, something that we really enjoy is sort of a deep dive in artisan barrels. Um, in France, there's been a really resurgence of small production barrel makers. So working with some producers that only make three or 400 barrels a year, couple of thousand barrels a year compared to some of the bigger houses that make a couple million barrels a year. Um, so to me, it's it's an arson product from day one all the way through. All, most of the people we work with are quite small. And for that, it's not just for the arson piece of it is because they're so small, they can kind of tailor how they make barrels for you instead of saying this is, you know, here's an extra large t-shirt. I don't care if it doesn't fit you. That's all we have. Instead, we're getting a little bit more of a tailored approach to how we use our barrels. What we're trying not to do, I'm really sorry that I'm, you're not. Anyway, so it's it's something not only in our estate Chardonnay, but something that we are trying to do with all of our wines. It's basically a vetting process that will take many, many years, but trying to find the right barrel for the right wine with the right toast from the right forest um, so that it, it sort of, brings out the personality of our wines without overdoing it. Um, in 2020, we also over-vintaged our Chardonnay to allow a little bit better integration, a little bit more uh, of the site coming forward. Down in Carneros, we're mostly uh, clay soils, uh, very different than some of our partners in Russian River. I find the fruit to be very delicate, very kind of spice-driven. Um, we are very There's close- cardamom, cardamom. Yeah. Thank you. That's one I actually compliment to me. I don't know if that's a, uh, that's a spice component that I often get in our, our Chardonnays and our white wines in general, some cardamom, sometimes chai spice, mm-hmm. we have chamomile. Just to me, uh, a really pleasant wine, but the fruit itself seems to be pretty delicate. So being patient, trying to find the right combination um, in this vintage, we just felt like a little bit more time in barrel was going to be helpful, which I, I think was the right decision. Um, we try not to make wines by recipe. Each vintage, we evaluate the needs for ML or not. Um, there's no, this is how we do it. We try to respond to the vintage in real time. If the wine or the vintage feels a little more acidic or more fresh than we need, then we will put more wines through malactic. It's not a requirement from my perspective. And then over over time, we're also evaluating new oak. And as we dial in that new oak percentage and or new oak use, um, we hope the wines become more expressive and and more personality driven with time. It's uh, the spice is is beautiful and it is kind of a, you know, the fuller bodied. It's not, you know, it's not completely full. I would go medium, medium plus on the body, but um, there's a silkiness to the finish that just allows allows it to linger on your palate a bit more. Um, what would you like to pair with this? If you're you're taking this home and you're eating, what what do you like with this? I mean, right now I like that wine so much that I would just want to enjoy it uh, with a glass of just as it is with uh, another glass. <laughs> yeah, with another glass of wine, partner with a with a follow up. That's a good question. Um, it is what I like about that wine is. It's 
relatively low alcohol for California standards. There's plenty of freshness, um, but there is some nice weight. And I often get that from Carneros in general, this, this juxtaposition of weight and freshness that I find appealing. Um, but I think still getting, uh, I would go seafood and, and something we have a chef on site here that pairs with our wines every day. So right now, I think with some scallops and sort of a, a Berblanc sauce, but scallop sounds very good with, with that wine, personally. Yeah. I, it does have um, the, the body of it. I, what, and I am, everybody is like, oh, you should be the pair. And yeah, I'm, I'm horrible with food pairing, uh, mostly because I don't eat 99% of the food on the face of this earth. But I'm, I think it can hold up to a, to a thicker sauce like pasta type thing because of that palate um, that it, it's, it can cut through something with fat in it. So um, I, you know, I'm thinking that way, um, but it is, it is lovely on it on its own also, but, you know, to sit with some cheese, I think it would go nice with some, you know, you know, not, not the out of the world, strong cheese, but like a, a strong, you know, kind of on that stronger side of that cheese, it would go nice, but it also would go nice with the lighter cheese. And I think that's the benefit of having this, this kind of palette to it is that it can go with a diversity of things. Yeah, totally. And now a word from our sponsor. Looking to be in the know about Dracaena wines? Want to be the first to know about our new releases and special offers? All you need to do is sign up for our newsletter. There is no commitment necessary, and I promise you we won't spam your mailbox with loads of messages. Need another reason to sign up? Quite possibly the best reason? You'll immediately get a discount code for 10% off your first purchase and be privy to newsletter-only discounts. Let Dracaena Wines turn your moments into great memories. Visit our website, www.dracaenawines.com, or use the link in show notes to sign up. It will take you less than a minute, but the rewards will last a lifetime. Uh, so now your vineyard, your estate vineyard itself, actually uh, is kind of within three of the of the AVAs. You're part of the Sonoma Coast, Carneros, and Sonoma Valley. So how to, you know, it, it's all just lines that somebody years ago designed or whatever, but yep. how do you how do you see these three AVAs coming in to to make your fruit unique? It's a good question. Um, for us, we have a lot of different influences, and I think that's why the AVAs are important for distinction and helping consumers figure out what they do and don't like. Um, for us, we do have three AVAs that overlap. We have Carneros region that starts on our western border. We have Sonoma Valley that ends on our southern border and Sonoma Coast that ends on our eastern border. So we do have the influences, uh, the the coming together of, of a lot of different aspects that makes our site unique. And I, that's partly why I like growing grapes here. So with where we're at, we're in the southeast corner of Sonoma County. We get a very strong influence from San Pablo Bay or San Francisco Bay. And if anyone's been to San Francisco, they know fog, uh, 
um, and cool temperatures all year round. Um, so that plays well for us in the, in the wintertime. So we are a little, actually a little bit warmer than even parts of Sonoma Valley as a result. So we see early bud break. Um, we also make we have a long growing season. We're also part of Carneros and Carneros is for me known for its wind and kind of an extension of the same, uh, the, I'm sorry, Petaluma wind gap. And every day it is, it's quite windy. It's fairly consistent. One or two in the afternoon, the winds pick up, pulls our property down. So in the summertime, we also play a little bit cooler than other parts of the Sonoma Valley and or even the Russian River. So the wines that we make, I would say play towards a more cool climate feel on both their palates and aromatics. For the Chardonnay, it does feel to me more Carneros-like, but our Pinot to me tastes more Sonoma Coast-like. As far away from Sonoma Coast as, as it could be and still be in the ABA. Um, I think that's part of where I agree with a lot of the the the, the lines that we all agreed to as an as a an industry of where things are cut off. So and then Sonoma Valley, I would say reason I feel like it applies here is we also grow a little bit of Grenache. And when I got to Ramsgate, I thought, okay, we're growing Pinot Blanc, Sal Blanc, Chardonnay, Pinot, and Grenache, like from a grape growing perspective and or a winemaker's perspective, it's like one of these isn't going to work. One of these varieties just doesn't seem to fit. It's either the Pinot Blanc or the Grenache, that's where I started. But looking at it, we have a long growing season and we're just, our growing season and our harvest window is 50 days. So we're picking Pinot Blanc at the beginning and we're picking Grenache at the end. But they both do quite well. So we are getting... Uh, daytime temperatures that are warm enough to cultivate a grape like Grenache, which is, I would say, a more warm climate variety. And it's doing it well. It's a really beautiful Grenache and it works really well for what we're doing. So um, unique place. It's not one thing, it's many things. And as a result, I think we have to come with uh, a very open mind. As director of winemaking, you you have your hands involved in like every aspect of the winemaking process. What what's your favorite part of the winemaking process? And I think I already know from from your history, but what's your favorite aspect of it? I don't really have a favorite part, honestly. I think what I like about the wine business, and especially from the production standpoint, is it is a cycle. Even as a kid growing up in Michigan, you're always excited about spring coming because the winters are so long. And then summer is such a short window that you really enjoy the summer season. And then by the time fall comes, you're kind of excited for all things that come with fall. And I think being in a profession that kind of lines up with seasons is really suits me well. So this time of year, my team, we're tasting barrels. We're thinking about 23. We're thinking about what kind of planning we want to do. I love that part. Um, end of February, we're going to start seeing bud break. So we'll get out in the vineyard. We're going to evaluate pruning. We're going to start thinking about what does this growing season look like? I love that. Um, and then we go into our bottling, our spring bottling, finalizing blends, getting all that into bottle. Probably the most stressful part, but 
um, necessary. And it's kind of the closing of a chapter, which, you know, that right after a bottling, you feel like this huge relief. It's just like, oh. yep. <laughs> so the next one. Um, and then I do a fair amount of travel on behalf of the company as well. So getting out and spreading the word about Ramsgate, I'll be doing that in March, April, May. Um, so there's not one thing that I like more than the others. I think it's, it creates a lot of balance in my life. I'll be usually very busy. Um, but there's not one aspect that I can't wait for it to pass. It's almost like it kind of runs its course and it's, it's nice to be done with it and move on to the next thing, but decade and a half plus into my career. And I'm always excited for spring. I'm always excited for growing season. I usually am the most optimistic right now. So we've gotten the rain, we've got everything pruned, crops coming in, nothing's gone wrong. So I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, and then, we start plotting what the vintage is going to do for us and the wines we're going to be making from it. So always exciting. Uh, oh, so you're, you're done pruning already. We are done pruning. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So uh, you forged relations and you talked about it a little bit uh, with the Chardonnay, but you forged relationships with like family owned Coopers and other than supporting small, you had talked about the fact that it's like the, not the one size fits all for the for the cooperage and are you do you follow that suit with the vineyards also that you're using are they are they typically the smaller vineyards what's your relationship with those vineyards are you walking those are you walking those vineyards on a regular basis are you having control of what of how those farmers are farming those vines yes and no and maybe <laughs> Uh, it really depends. Um, my favorite word in the wine business and, and winemaking and grape growing is it really depends. Um, that's what my team always likes to repeat when I ask. Mm -hmm. It back to them. Um, so, yes, we have an affinity towards small cooperages, uh, but we work with anyone that works well with our wines. It just happens that a lot of them tend to be smaller producers at the moment. Same kind of is true of vineyards. We work with some larger vineyards and we work with some very small vineyards and everything in between. I think grape growing is especially true where we can work with one vineyard that's two acres. We can work with a property that's 200 acres. Um, both are important. Both are valuable to our portfolio. Um, it's not one or the other. It's kind of, it depends on the situation. But yeah, with our Coopers, it's sort of a, a Pandora's box that I opened 10 years ago and it's impossible to close at this point. Um, even if we start working with a new Cooper, I'm excited and also I'm like, oh boy, here we go. When they taste the wines and they're like, these are great. However, would you be willing to consider some 36 month, or I think in this case, Allier is a nice choice, but Jupi as a force might be better for this vineyard. And then you're just thinking to yourself, okay, I'm gonna work with 15 Coopers and each Cooper I have four to six variations. So it becomes not less complicated mm -hmm. as it goes on, it becomes more complicated with more variables, but it's, uh, it's something that we welcome. And it's the same with vineyards. So as we understand what we want, 
it's not necessarily zeroing in and only doing less and more complicated. It's more options with more complication added onto it. So yes, I think there's parallels there. Um, when we make our Sonoma Coast blends, I could easily go to one grower and get all my fruit needs met from one person and I could be done. But to me, you you sacrifice diversity and complications and complexities by doing that. Um, so I prefer to buy a little bit from a lot of people. And it, a, it keeps informing us of our style, but it also kind of narrates, a, I think, a very nice story of what the vintage looks like from Sonoma, the Sonoma Coast or Carneros, where we're working. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, let's let's talk about the final wine I have here, the 2020 Pinot Noir from uh, Los Carneros. So is this also just about to be released? Um, this is going to be the talent of 23, but yes, it's uh, slated to come out. Okay. So tell us about this Pinot Noir. So this is also a state. So all three wines we ended up sending you are wines that we grew and um and bottled separately. Um, with Pinot Noir, that is coming from multiple little blocks around our property. Again, we're sort of uh, a micro cubay within one site. We have some older vines that were planted in the mid nineties. And then we have plants that they were planted when the business just started in 2011. So um, some vine age is going into that. Also on our site, most of the soil type is clay. However, there is a section where some of those pinots coming from that is gravel. And I find that to be some of the most exceptional Pinot Noir that we work with. It's just a three acre section. Uh, so type is very different. It's night and day, you can walk through the vineyard and you can go from clay and it's almost like a line. And then on the other side is, is this gravel. So more, um, or I'm sorry, less vigor. The vines are a little bit smaller, the cluster size are bite-sized to me. They're just like those little snickers that you get <laughs> to get at Halloween. You can just pop it right in your mouth, but make fantastic wines. Um, and then we have some younger plantings that uh, add a bit of a flavor and, and texture. And it's just a very, I find really appealing wine. Um, 2020 against our, our first full year of organic farming. Um, with red wines at Ramsgate, we also incorporate whole cluster and we also do native ferments on all of our reds. So something that a lot of people do, but we do find that those are both important um, procedural steps for us. So whole cluster for us brings out some umami, balances well uh, the fruit in Pinot Noir. I find they match really well. Um, with the whole cluster, we're often doing foot stomping beforehand, um, kind of old school, um, ink. Whole clusters like spice uh, or salt or pepper when you add it to a dish, a little bit isn't helpful. A lot can be too much depending on the site, not always. Um, so it's a trial and error over a long period of time. However, at our estate, we find 20 to 30% whole cluster is a nice uh, combination both aromatically on and texturally. So the whole clusters also bring some some tannin to the to the pool, mm-hmm. uh, so we can sculpt our wines in the mouthfeel has a little bit more layers 
than had it not had the cluster. Well, I am a Pinot fan, uh, so I'm excited to to try that and um, share. Well, I guess I have to share it with my husband. Uh, try it. Um, I won't tell if you don't. All right. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> so I was actually, you know, hunting around the website and I saw your tasting room. I mean, oh, my God, that tasting room is magnificent. Like that that glass door window i don't know exactly what you call it because it's not even like it's not a garage door it kind of sweeps up this way i mean by that by the bar itself it is magnificent and then you have a pond that people can taste with and then you have all of these different type of tastings like a sit-down tasting a caviar tasting like so what is how do people get to you how do people find ramsgate and tell i mean i don't eat caviar but tell us about that caviar tasting. Like, what are you pairing with that? What it, you know, what are they doing with that? Yeah, I think uh, a unique opportunity with Ramsgate is, you know, we've been talking about our farming and our wine and, and our passion for for doing both well. Um, the nice thing about Ramsgate is we also have this beautiful facility to come and enjoy it in in person. It's one, you know, not all brands have this, and we're very fortunate. We are. 30 minutes from the Golden Gate Bridge, so we are accessible. Yeah. Nice for those who maybe are here for work in San Francisco and want to be able to sneak away and have a great experience somewhere. So I always encourage people to, you know, save an hour and a half and, or two hours and you can come up, taste with us, have a great time, and then get back. And no one will even know you were gone. Um, so um, beyond that, yeah, we have some really cool spaces to enjoy wine. Um, I think wine country has become a place where people don't want to just sit down and, and have a glass of wine or taste a wine and buy wine and leave. They really want to experience where and how we live in Sonoma County, which is an incredible place. So we've tried to tailor experiences for people to do that, depending on what they're looking for. So we have your standard wine tastings. We have beautiful spaces around our property. Uh, the building was designed in a way that it's a very open air feel. So depending on the season, we can have most of our doors open and it feels like a giant open space. Uh, in the wintertime, it becomes a little bit more intimate. We can close them down. We have fireplaces in a lot of our, our rooms. Um, different experiences that we offer um, actually, tomorrow we're coming out with, uh, uh, we had a clever name for it, I'm drawing a blank on it, but basically we have an incredible chef that works here uh, daily. And so we're doing a, a, a bites paired with uh, each wine in that flight. Uh, it's not necessarily a meal, but it can kind of give you uh, a preview of our, our chef's talents. We also offer the caviar experience that you just mentioned. So we partnered with Sir Nikolai, um, a local caviar producer. And that is amazing. Um, a lot of people drink uh, champagne with caviar. We do have sparkling wine, but we find that our Pinot Blanc, our Sau Blanc, our Chardonnays uh, pair really well with this caviar as well. So it's... Uh, it's an exploration of if if you are a caviar uh, aficionado of, of seeing caviar in a different light. And then sort of the creme de creme of what we offer 
is a seasonal wine and food experience. This is a seated uh, prefixed menu, both from wine and food. And so guests can come three times a day, 11, 12, 30, and two, and sit down with one of our wine educators and basically they narrate and walk you through both the food and wine pairing, but also educate and, and engage customer the entire time. So it's really a cool experience that you can really get totally immersed in who and what we do. Our chef is usually very close to the kitchen, so she's often out explaining why and how she decided to do this. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, in wine country, food has become almost as important as the wine. What I do like about what we do here is our chef is very, very thoughtful. Um, as a chef, she said, it was interesting to come and work here because often chefs make a dish that they're inspired by and then they have sommeliers or someone to come and select wines that pair well with their food. And she has to work backwards. Here's the wine that we want to pour and share with our guests, come up with a dish that pairs well with that. And I think it's when, when you get to experience something like that, it's a very different sensory experience because I think it often is working working the other way around. So we have a chef who's really being concerned about how the food's going to impact wine and not the other way around. Um, so really cool. Uh, she was the chef at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in San Francisco. She uh, brings with her a bag of very interesting ingredients, very Asian inspired. Um, so it's kind of a play on California cuisine with Asian flair. So really, really fun. She's huge into seafood, huge into uh, gluten-free uh, vegan. So we are introducing courses that um, kind of come at it from a lot of different sustainable practices, but kind of an experiment to it as well. So I find that really, really fun. It is also seasonal, so it's changing with the season. And they can find all this information on the on the website, which... Ram ramsgatewinery.com correct hey ramsgatewinery.com and you guys are also on social media ramsgate winery uh and you know just go online schedule it a you know schedule a tasting appointment it looks incredible and i cannot wait to try the rest of these wines and i want to thank you for coming on and sharing all the information about ramsgate and yourself and so um did i miss anything that you're like yeah these people need to know this or did you think we covered it no i think we we touched on a lot you know i think what i always say is you know we're a small brand you're speaking to someone that was very involved, but my winemaking team is also very small. There's two full-time employees plus myself. So it's not, um, there's not a lot of behind the scenes. It's really the, the craft of only a few people um, where our team is very passionate from production all the way to the front of house that the people that work in our tasting room are in love with our product and can't wait to share it with people. So it, it's uh and, and being seasonal and our facility really captures season well, that it's something that I don't care if it's wintertime or summertime, it's, it's different, but really fun to come and see our place multiple times. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me. And I did actually save just a little itty bitty bit of the Chardonnay left to just raise the glass and say slancha and hope to see you soon. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for Thank you. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Butt. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kievitz. Until next week, slancha.